Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Whitetail Legacy Podcast, coming in your ear holes, and man, do I have an awesome episode for you guys this week. Talking to Jake Bush, what makes Jake Bush different? Over the last three years, this guy's killed a giant on public land, two absolute giants, first thing in the season, guys. And um, I just want to pick his brain and go through those hunts, figure out what he's doing different. And I picked out about five or six things that I think he does different that is the deciding factor of how he's able to kill this early in, in the year um, consistently. Um, but Jake's always a great guest. Appreciate him coming on. Let's get into the people that make this possible. We're going to get into the show. Let's start off with Exodus, guys. Um, I want to go ahead and continue the Velvet Fest, guys. Um, that is still going on, guys. Um, those prizes are going to go all the way to August 19th, guys. Um, so you still got another week to get in there, get that scratch-off card, get that 15 25% off your next camera or arrows. Um, Make sure and sign up for that newsletter for Velvet Fest guys. That email, that Exodus newsletter. They just come out with a second round discount code when this expires. You've been saving your pennies and haven't been able to pull the trigger. Um, that second discount code is out on the newsletter. Um, and make sure and use that hashtag Velvet Fest on social media to win prizes throughout the online event. Um, they'll be sending out Exodus gear to random people that participate. Um, and if you guys are in the market for some new arrows, um, the Exodus MMT tailored arrows are coming out of the bow smooth as hell, guys. Um, I'm loving them. If you guys want a custom arrow built to your bow specs, your draw length, your poundage, what head you're shooting, um, what knock you want, what knock fit you want, this they go in depth with these tailored built arrows. Um, they're using the highest grade components. Um, head to their website and you can use the 3D Builder to experience the best shooting hunting arrow, arrow available, guys. And like always, got to mention that five-year, literally half a decade, no BS warranty that Exodus is putting on their trail cameras, guys. I have Exodus trail cameras that are five years old, guys, and are still out there ripping. Um, and I know that if, it, if they, they shit the bed this year, five years old, I'm going to get that five-year warranty and get a brand new cam out there and don't forget about that theft and damage warranty they also have on their cams so just an all-around 
uh, awesome company. Make sure you follow their YouTube, follow the newsletter, follow their social to get up to date on everything they got going on. All right, next one, we got 330 Archery. That's 330hartree.com, um, guys. This is the time of year we've been waiting for all year to get our bows out, make sure they're shooting good, make sure that um, everything's tuned in, dialed in. Um, Exodus actually just put out a YouTube video with, with 330 Archery and to uh, say, you know, why should you trade up from a custom bow string? And there's a lot of good things you can put on. Um, I didn't really know about the knock fit a lot, with, especially on the Matthews bows. Um, and that's what I shoot. So got going to get a custom bowstring order real quick here, guys. But Tony at 330 Archie, he's got it going on. He can make um, sure you can count on your bow when you need it the most. Um, 330 Archie bowstring is made from the best material available. They have a super quick turnaround, guys. Um, and they're offering the listeners this discount code for supporting this podcast, um, a 20% off code using Whitetail20, uh, all undercase, no spaces, Whitetail20. Um, if you're about supporting a, a small town local guy that's just starting out, really grinding out there, trying to make it work, um, 330 Archery is for you. Um, visit 330archery.com or reach out to Tony personally on Instagram to place your orders or if you have any questions at all. Um, that's 330archery.com, guys. Not, uh, last but not least, boys over at Next Level, guys. These guys have been with us year after year absolutely incredible dudes uh scott and nate um they're running a business working full-time jobs they're trying to bring you the absolute best deer supplements in the industry no, no gimmicks no hype no apple no sugar no none of that shit what the deer can benefit from um they're carrying the the feed they're carrying the mineral blocks the 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 soybean blocks the roasted soybean blocks the mineral um and uh this is the absolute best you can get backed by an actual animal scientist that is you know not there's no gimmicks in this just to try to sell the product um but this is the time of year man that if you got feed out you're gonna get the trail cam picks um i i know a bunch of guys that are running next level their trail camera data is incredible compared to mine dude just being able to debate um, not only bait, but feed these deer um, when they're growing the antlers and give them the nutrition that they need is so key. Um, so you can find out anything at nextleveldeersupplements.com. Um, check them out on Instagram, Facebook. Um, and uh, all right, let's, let's get right into the show. All right, we got the early, early slayer <laughs> on here, Jake Bush. How's it going tonight, man? <laughs> Good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. I think this is your second or third time being on. I always enjoy chatting with you, especially the pregame chat that you get um, that nobody knows. Oh, I got this book. I got this book. That's all the secret shit that we say at the beginning. But uh, you uh, you recently put a post out on your uh, Instagram that I really liked. Wanted to have you on. Um, we get to see your face a lot now. You're finally getting the street cred that you deserve, you know, out there. Um, I know you're humble and you're like, I, you know, but I, I see it, dude. You've been smashing year after year after year. I was just looking back at like 2019, 2000. I'm like, yeah, you know, you're out there killing not just deer, but really, really good deer. Um, but you kind of did, you know, a story of what you did and what you flipped the switch to start making you be so successful. So I wanted to have you on and basically do like 
an origin story of Jake Bush or, uh, you know, what makes Jake Bush different than all the other guys out there that are trying to do the same thing you doing, but aren't near as successful. So uh, do a brief introduction of who you are and this, just get right into whatever you want to start with. Yeah. So I'm Jake Bush. Um, you know, I grew up in Southwestern New York. I uh, grew up hunting and fishing with my grandpa, my brothers and sister and friends been a big part of my life. Um, you know, growing up, it was really interesting because I've always been just like drawn into whitetails for some reason, like whether it was spotlighting with my grandpa or it was uh, taking his Sony Handycam and filming velvet bucks growing up throughout high school and stuff while everybody else was partying. Like it's always been a big part of my life and I've always wanted to really figure them out. And I was always very interested in, in whitetails in general. Um, but yeah, it started out the first day that I could legally hunt. I killed a really good buck for New York, uh, with my bow it was birthday. And so, you know, it was above average for sure. It, I, I lucked into it. It was uh, pre rut and he just happened to run across the field and I ended up shooting him. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of different to be introduced to killing whitetails like that, because now I have like this standard that I'd set for myself. Uh, and my grandpa and my dad at the time were like, that's the biggest deer you'll ever kill. You know, you're spoiled and you know how it goes. It was, I think it was like 115 or 116 inches, but for up there, that's a really good deer. Um, you know, that's evolved over time, obviously. And I've just like found a way to try to chase those deer as much as possible. Um, you know, I, I ended up moving down here to Ohio kind of for the same reason, you know, Bob and, uh, selling my house and, that's that's what I've been chasing ever since down here, and I've loved every minute of it. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a ride, that's for sure. So you you left New York. Um, well, you were in the military, weren't you? Or were you? Yep. Yeah, I was in the service yeah. before you out in Montana. All right, man, I appreciate that. That's what I thought. I I thought I remember when we first talked. You mentioned that, but so you left New York. Is that when you left New York? Is that when you went into the military for a while? So no, I went to the service at eighteen. I uh, went back to New York at twenty two, and this is. I, met, I I skipped this part, but I should have had it in there. Um, I actually, when I moved home, I bought a little hobby farm. It was 30 acres. I had a house on it and I started the food plot game. And, you know, like my grandpa would come out and we'd tell up food plots and um, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was also something that became kind of stagnant for me. And it was a small piece, right? Like 30 acres is, is very difficult to manage. Um, it seemed like the better the food plots got like the better food plots I put in, the more my neighbor would kill. <laughs> and so it was, yeah. it was working, but he had the bedding, he had the swamp and then I had the food. So he would hunt the swamp and kill him. Um, but I just had to find a way to evolve. And that was part of that process was okay. You know, it's, it's time to evolve, get back out on the public, start glassing a lot of fields, start trying to find these deer again. And that's where I started having more success. Um, you know, I was like an hour roughly away from where I grew up. So the terrain was quite a bit different instead of being as much of the hill country was a lot of like more like rolling agriculture with uh lowlands and swamps and cattail marshes and things like that so i focusing on a different type of terrain and finding some success doing that as well and that was a lot of fun like i tell everybody i love hunting swamps now and i love hunting marshes and stuff because it just kind of clicks for me it makes sense you know the beds are in my opinion, like at least in those areas, they're, they're pretty easy to find. You know, if you look on a map, you're like, okay, transition line, here's a point, here's a tree that's jutting out into this uh, 20 yards. And you go there and you look under the tree and there's a big bed on the root wad. So 
I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and then obviously coming back down here brought me more back towards my roots of the hill country mixed with the ag or just big woods in general. Uh, you know, I grew up right on the foothills of the Allegheny Mountains. So that was just the style that I've always known. And it, it made a lot of sense for me too. So then you came to Ohio and you're, I mean, you're like, you're, when you first got here, you're probably like, holy shit, now we're in, we're talking some solid deer here. I mean, that's a big change from, it's just like Southern Missouri. When I go down there, your expectations just have to change. Like it's getting better. Southern Missouri is getting way better because the Mennonites are putting in a lot more ag around where I live. Um, but it's all cattle farm down there. It's just pasture. They're eating acorns and, and hay fields. You know, they don't have that, that grain to get that. Like we don't get the mass, you know, like we get in Illinois and Ohio, like that, that just thickness, like your buck, you know, last just thick, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that that comes from, you know, the better food, of course, better genetics. But so you moved to Ohio. Um, and then what was what was your first year like in Ohio? So it was kind of crazy. You know, I moved down here middle of June and uh, I had less than 10 cameras to my name. I think it was like five or six cameras. And I had picked out, you know, over the course of a couple of years, I'd e-scouted areas throughout Ohio. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go put cameras in these spots. Well, to me, that was like, I'm going to go throw one camera on a hub scrape. Like I'm going to go find a hub scrape and put one camera in this, uh, you know, 20,000 or 30,000 acre chunk of, of property. Um, so it was a long shot, right? But man, I'll tell you what, I went, I put those cameras out in June. And that first year I checked them a lot more often because, Hey, I had a ton of time, but I was also just trying to find a deer to shoot open and day, you know, like I'm just in scramble mode and I was shifting my cameras around, around a little bit and stuff, but I ended up having a ton of good deer on that first camera pull. I mean, it was like, I want to say total it was like 14 different bucks in the month of June on that camera. And to me, I'd never seen anything like that. You know, I had 140 inch deer on that camera in June, never seen 140 inch deer in New York. So it was totally different for me. And I was like, wow, I can't, this is like that good. It's insane. Um, you know, some areas had good signs, some areas didn't have the good sign, but I just, I just kept plugging away, man. You can understand that where you just like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like OCD or if it's just this like constant wanting to learn and like this, this, uh, seeking of knowledge or what it is, but I just don't really have a quit in me when it comes to whitetails. Like it's just, it's all the time. And I just kept, you know, putting boots on the ground. I would bump bucks off the top of ridges and glass them as they ran down through the bottom and try to figure out how big they were. I was doing everything I possibly could. Um, located a ton of good deer. I mean, uh, I had plenty of deer to chase that year. And then I, uh, it's kind of funny because I made a post and, you know, I was new to social media at the time. I'd only had Instagram for a couple of months, but I made a post talking about how my summer scouting was done. And it was the first week of September. And my buddy kind of chuckled at me, Ethan. Um, and we, we chuckled about it after too, a little, I made that post. And then the next day I was sitting around and I was like, I got to go scout. Like, what am I doing? I, I don't, I don't have that much Intel yet. Like, yeah, I know seasons, you know, two or three weeks away, but you got to out there. So I got back on my maps and I had another area I really wanted to scout. And, uh, it was a really big Ridge system. It was going to be like a, probably a 10 mile hike day. And so I had to come up over this ridge from the backside of this public property and then you get really close down to the private and kind of do my loop and then check every point of the ridge that dumped down into that private. Like that was my game plan. 
so I circled up on top of the ridges and I had seed ticks all over me, you know, Southern Ohio, that's like the thing down here in late summer, but I was just, uh, having a, the darndest time out there is really hot, you know, mid nineties. And I'm not finding anything for, I'm like, you know, what am I doing out here? But I do, I love every minute of it as much as sometimes you have to embrace that suck. Uh, so I just kept going down through the ridges and, you know, I just kept telling myself, just check them all, like, get it all done. I know you're thirsty. I know you've been out here all day, but make sure you get to that last ridge. And sure enough, I crossed the second to last ridge down into a bottom and immediately the sign opened right up. I mean, it was, it was just loaded up with sign. There was big tracks and I was like, okay, I'm getting into something here. You know, I'm down by a Creek. It makes sense. There's food out here. Uh, so I ended up getting to that last ridge point. And as I got to the last ridge point, I looked up on the hill and I saw this giant rub and, you know, like, man, I've never seen a rub that big before. And it's early September. Like what, what is that thing? So I walk up to the rub and sure enough, I see a scrape and I'm like, oh, there's a scrape right there. Like I bet there's beds on this point. And I take another two or three steps and I bust this giant buck out of a bed right there. I mean, close. And, uh, he ran off and, you know, deer always look way bigger from behind But in my head, I mean, I figured he's 160, right? I'm like, that's 160 inch deer. Like that's the biggest deer I've ever seen. So I was fired up. Um, but what I did is I stopped in that moment and I just was like, okay, formulate your plan. You just saw the biggest deer, you know, of at this point, what are you going to do to make this happen? And I remembered from going out that morning, I was like, okay, we have a Southwest wind today. And he's bedded right here and he has a food source right now if this food source is still here come season and i have a southwest wind i'm gonna just take a shot at this bed like i'm just gonna go for it right and uh sure enough season comes around day one we had a weird wind it was something really odd uh and we it was like 95 degrees so i was like okay i'm gonna go try a totally different property like totally different terrain more of like crp ground flatland I only saw a doe that night, but I was after a, you know, a decent buck in there. And at this point, any, any decent buck is getting killed. Um, cause I'm a New York boy at that, at that point in time. Uh, but day two, I ended up getting the wind I wanted. You know, I woke up, I checked the wind. Okay. Southwest wind, you know, eight to 10 miles an hour. It's perfect. I was like, it's hot out. It's going to be a high of like 95 degrees, but I'm going to go for it. Like, why not? Right. And so, uh, it's like 11 a.m. I drive down there. I stop at Dollar General. I get a couple ice cream cones. I'm eating ice cream on the way there. And I was like, okay, it's hot out, but I'm going to go for it. So park my, park my uh, Jeep at the time. And I had to access the property a way I've never accessed it before. You know, I'd only been in there one other time at this point. I had access from like, not a highway, but a main road that was really uncomfortable. Um, I ended up having a run-in with one of the locals that was pretty frustrated that I was parking there. But I'd done my due diligence ahead of time. And I called the game warden and verified like, Hey, is this actually public access? And he even told me like, yes, it is, but be careful because I, I did get a call down there and there was a confrontation based on somebody parking there a couple of years ago. So just like, know you're doing the right thing in the back of your head. You're okay to be there. There's nothing wrong with that, but you might have a little run in. So I de-escalated the situation, um, which ended up being fine. Now we're, I get along with everybody down there. They just know, you know, I'm Jake. Um, but yeah, I accessed in, ended up jumping across the Creek, going up into this Ridge system. And, uh, the whole way in, I'm thinking like, okay, I know where that bed's at. I know where his scrapes at. Like that's absolute worst case scenario. I'm going to make it to that point, but I'm scouting my way in. 
Like if I find the right sign on the way in, I'm going to just probably set up on it. And uh, so that's exactly what I did. You know, I scouted my way in. I saw a couple of coyotes at like 20 yards that I was like, man, I should shoot that. Keep going. And I just worked my way up through there. And sure enough, I get to where that scrape was at. And there was a white oak tree there and it was dropping acorns. I mean, it's dropping. I'm like, okay, if he's bedded there, there should be no reason at all that he doesn't drop down, hit that white oak and then dump out to that private ag after the fact. And just, you got to get set up without being seen, without being heard, without being smelled. So, you know, the whole way in, I'm throwing milkweed and verifying them. My wind's good. My thermals are good. The wind is just off. Like I'm beating his bed by probably 20 yards and I'm beating that oak tree by probably five yards. You know, it's really pushing the limits. The cool thing about those north facing slopes when they get real steep is the thermals never pull. Now, I'm not going to say never, but generally a really steep north facing slope that's shaded throughout the day won't have the same thermal effect as say like the sunny side of a south facing ridge, right? Like that's where the wind's really going to pull uh, or the thermals are really going to pull. So I knew I had an advantage there. I knew as it cooled down, that advantage would just get a little bit better for me and I would be okay. Um, so I took a long time getting set up. I mean, I hung off that side of that tree for what seemed like forever. I had to mask the noise of the sticks being attached to the tree with anything I could breeze, a squirrel chatter, a bird, like anything that I could, a uh, motorcycle driving by on the road, go up that Valley, anything that I could find. Um, I finally got set up and sure and long at all, maybe, maybe an hour max, maybe less than that. I heard a stick crack and I look up and I see that deer basically stand right out of his bed, walk down the ridge and then turn left and come right at me. I mean, beeline right at me to that oak tree at 30 yards. And uh, the rest is history. You know, it was 30 yard shot. I heard him crash within 10 seconds. And at the time I was thinking, man, I just shot a 160. Like what a giant buck. That's an awesome deer. And then I walk up on it and I was like, I can't, I can't believe that this thing is that big. Um, so yeah, day two that introduced me to Ohio public land hunting. And just like my 16 year old buck did when I first got started, kind of spoiled me a little bit. So I, you know, I get asked the question a lot, like what, what you set your sights on Boone and Crockett deer every year on public land here. And well, I, I killed one right off the bat and that's kind of the caliber. Like that's the highest of caliber that I'm finding pretty much every year. Like I've. I've been lucky enough the three years I've been down here so far to chase a deer of that caliber. And I foresee that same thing happening this year, hopefully with a couple more, hopefully I'm getting a little bit better at this, but, but yeah, that's, you know, if you put the work in down here, you, you can find that caliber of deer. I know guys that find bigger than that down here that work harder than I do. Um, and you close in on them and make it happen. That's, that's why I love being here. It's, it's been an awesome journey going into year four and, uh, yeah, hopefully it works out. So first, first year in, um, you know, taking it back, if you wouldn't have scouted, you know, that, that last time before season, never would have probably been on that property or on that ridge. Um, and then one thing I really liked that you said is, I've said it on this podcast a lot, the next 100 yards, man, the next 100 yards, like you get there, shit, this is when I thought I need to go 100 more, you know, you're, you're, you're scouting at that point, like, people are worried about, I'm going to booger this place up. But if you're scouting the guy that's, if you're on public, there could be a guy 200 yards behind you doing the same thing. So if you don't have the knowledge, you got to get the knowledge. Um, and I think what you said was, you know, you love it. And that's the same thing for me. Like 
I'm looking up this ridge, shit everywhere. I got to, you know, slip through thorns and shit, grass to my nipples. I'm like, oh, here we go. You know, I got, I got to, I got to know what's up there, you know? And then, uh, homie, you know, I hunted with him for a long time. He'd always be like, I'd be like, all right, one more ridge. He'd be like, ah, oh, man. I'm like, just get up there. Then once we're there one time, we know, like, we know we'll ne maybe never go back there, but then we know what's there. Um, and that burned me last year on that buck I was talking about earlier. Like we're hunting him. We're hunting him in a spot where the wind is just, it's shit where we're at. We're in the bottom of this kind of goalie, no, no trees. You know, we're trying to play the thermals as much as we can. The access to get there is really, really terrible. Um, and we just hit this wall of thickness that you would have to like hacksaw your way through to get through, you know, and, and um, we just backed off. Well, late season, I'm like, all right, here we go. Let's, we can get through there now, you know, and I'm still crawling through there and I get through there and the sign opens up, rubs, scrapes. Oh, here's some white. I've been looking for acorns on this pro property for five years. Here's some acorns, you know, back in here that I haven't found very few acorns anywhere else on the whole entire place. Boom. Here's some acorn trees. There's a giant community scrape. There's some rubs. It, the shit's just clicking, clicking, clicking. And then it opens up into this like marsh that's open. That's like hundred yards wide by 250 yards long. That's in the middle of this goalie. And I'm like, okay, I can probably control the wind here. Like if it's coming down, there's not a bunch of shit, you know, little spoil hills and stuff that's going to make the wind push all over. I got a 250 yard shot where if it's coming this direction, it's going to go that direction. Um, so if I would have went 150 more yards, I would have knew that last year and been on all that sign and all that. Cause we were in there during season, that sign was there. Like we just didn't push that extra hundred. And then I found a way out that's better just follow you know follow the deer trail I'm like hell I'll just follow the deer trail found a way out that's better to access to get in there um so I would have had I'd have been on the deer I would have had better access and better wind all for 100 150 yards you know and I just just pushed out man just was like I can't there's no way we can get through that like and in my mind I'm thinking how are we going to get through there quietly and hunt these deer but you don't need to do that every time you just need to get in there see what you're working with then make a plan how to hunt it because you might not even hunt it anyways you could have walked that ridge it could have been okay this is no good but if you walk it and it's good then you can start making a plan like you said you had to access different if you didn't know where that buck was bedded or where that sign was at and you decided to hunt that ridge you probably would have bumped that deer the same way you did before so that extra 100 yards is absolutely killer and like i said i think something that makes you different is you love it like you have you just love I made a post a couple of days on Instagram. I'm out there running summer trail cams, literally data that is not going to help me at all. I'm just verifying that they're working at this point, I'm like two and a half miles deep, just dripping sweat. It's 90 degrees. I'm like, I, I'm looking at the clouds and shit. I'm like, I, just, I love this shit. Like it is, this is, this is me, you know, but a lot of guys are like, I'm not doing that. Ticks. You got ticks all over you. You're sweaty. And you got like, there's a, anything that I think I could pull on a card right now that would bear be like, Oh yeah, I'm killing this deer. Like nothing's going to help me because we start in October 1st, you know, we're so far out the game. Deer's going to switch two times from now, you know? So uh, you just got to love it. I think that's something that makes you different, man. You just absolutely love the, the game, you know, of, of making it all click together.
Yeah, man. You know, you're the same way. I can sit there and listen to that story and hear like all these little details, right. That you formulated. And that's, that's part of that process too. When you really love it, there's, there's no end, like there's no amount of information that's going to satisfy what you're looking for. And so it's the constant evolving and learning and trying to just figure one more thing out. And, you know, I'll talk to people about hunting sometimes and I can see their head spin and they're like, man, you're so detailed. And it's like, to me, that's just, that's the way it is, right? Like I, I want to leave it all on the table. I want to know everything I can. And if I look at like the guys that really inspire me or that like every year, just consistently getting it done on, on the deer that they want to kill as quick as possible. They're the same way. They are all just absolutely consumed with the process. They love it. You know, it's not about social media posts. It's not about pro staffs or sponsorships or anything. I'm not bagging on that. Like all those things can be good as well, but the guys that are really out there getting it done are the ones that are focused on the important things. They're not focused on any of that. You know, like one thing that you'll probably notice is come like closing time, my social media gets real quiet and that's because I'm focused and I'm just, all my effort is going into very specific things. I'm trying not to waste any time because like that 2019 buck, I mean, it's, I'm one I'm one thought process away from let from something clicking in my head. That's going to tip me off to the next giant buck I'm after. And it, that's all it could take, right? Like you could be laying in bed one night and you're either on your phone scrolling through social media, or you're laying in bed, looking up at the ceiling, thinking about all these different scenarios. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't think mm-hmm. about that spot. Like that could be, that could be it this year, right? That could be money. And so I think being consumed with it and really loving that process are going to be the things that really separate people the most. And that's something that unfortunately I think you either got or you don't, right? Like there's, there's certain things that can be taught. Tactics can be taught, but you can't teach somebody to fall in love with the process of it and to fall in love with being, you know, gored by or like you said, ticks all over the place or seed ticks or, you know, there's snakes out and spiders out and spider webs and, Bro, spiders in summer. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Top dude, that's... five worst things. They're they're everywhere. I'm like, there's gotta be a bajillion, a legit number, bajillion spiders in the woods. <laughs> I don't know how many they're out there, man, but as many spider webs as I walk through, I'm like, I don't even I got a machete this year. It's I don't even take it out of the case. I just keep it in the case and just go like this when I'm walking because it's 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 intense out there, man. Yeah, dude. My, my thing is like, I'll be, for some reason I'll turn around. And as I step backwards, the spin back around spider to the face every single time. Just like, like, yeah, like this, you're like, man, that some bitch is on me somewhere, (laughs) but I'm just going to walk and act like it's not. That's right. Yep, exactly. And then you get in your vehicle right now, just chill and laying some eggs, but I'm just going to act like it's not there. Just keep walking forward. I hate that. That's all oh, I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I hate it too. But like I said, I made that post and I was just out there like, why do I love this shit? I just love it. I'm, I'm literally doing nothing. I'm hanging cams to pool two months from now that will give you some intel. I'm verifying that they're working, but literally not gaining anything to be able to kill a buck at that moment, just absolutely enjoying it, the shit out of it, you know? And, and you're just, you get, you got to get back to the truck and you've got to take your shirt off and your pants off. Cause you're just so <laughs> got the AC on high and you're like, Oh yeah, that was great. That was good. And then you're like, you're like, there's something wrong with me deep down inside, I think to make me enjoy that. But, um, so, you know, you knock it, you knock that buck down the first buck. And I, I think maybe that's when I first started following you or first 
seeing you on there. Um, and, you know, it's, it was excited to, you know, watch the film and everything come together. And, uh, and uh, then, you know, the next year, same thing happens. And then, you know, last year, you know, another giant ride off the rip. And uh, I watched that film and you really did a good job breaking that down, how you set up and the scenario. And that footage of him coming in, dude, is sick, man. I love, I love that stuff. That's like, that's where you're laying in bed, you know, visualizing um, over and over and over is that 30 seconds before the shot, how he's going to come out, what he's going to do, and then how much you're going to learn after that deer does that. Um, but let's go into, you know, your second season in Ohio. So just come off an absolute slammer. Um, and now you're going into your second year and you actually traveled the second year, right? Killed out of state too. Uh, I didn't kill, I didn't kill out of state second year last year. I did in Kansas. Yeah. Last year you did. Okay. So, so second year you're coming off the slammer. Um, you're going into season. What, what flipped the switch that, that year to make it, to get done as quick as you did again? Well, it, it took, a, it took a little longer, but it was still, pretty good I actually got stuck in the rut for that one um but but man I was close on I mean I'm talking like uh the more I look at his photos after I've killed a couple big ones now the more I look at those photos I'm really thinking that he was maybe even low 180s as a typical 10 just a, a beautiful beautiful public land deer I mean he was wide he had uh, beautiful white antlers. I really wish I would have got him on film. I would, I had the camera pointed at him at 60 yards, but I had, I was like, you know, probably two inches too low with that camera. So it, all you could see was the bottom of his feet. Um, but so to be honest with you, that second season, I, I came out of the, came out of the gate, maybe a little bit too cocky. And that was one thing that really I've, I've been humbled a lot and I'm really thankful for that because it's made me work a lot harder. And I think that that's something that I'll, I'll continue to do from now on. Um, first year I was like, Oh, that was day two. Right. Like, man, like it's, it's like New York was for me, but I, I shortly realized that there's a lot of factors that, that play into that and that uh, you can't let your guard down. That was the thing that I did is I let my guard down. So, uh, you know, I get in this area summertime scouting around, find a really good hub scrape. I pop a camera on it. And at this point, I more cameras. Um, this area, I actually had two cameras stolen the year before. So I got, I hung them really high and, um, right off the bat. I mean, I checked that camera and I had that giant buck on it, but I had a lot of other good bucks on it. Like I found a shed off a low one forties buck. And so I had that buck to compare with the giant and he just dwarfed that deer. I mean, it wasn't even close. And so I was really excited. You know, I'm putting a game plan together. I think I got it fixed. Uh, you know, hit me a little bit that year where I, I bought my house early October. I actually got in a car crash the second day of season and told my Jeep. And so I just had some stuff going on, right? Like I wasn't, I, I kind of got in my own head a little bit. I wasn't necessarily thinking about everything as clearly as I probably should have been. And, um, what ended up getting me, this is where the details really matter. So I went in to hunt this deer on a Southwest wind. And that's like, I knew where he was bedded. I knew where his secondary food source was. I knew where his destination food source was. I knew where his scrape was. I had this deer pretty dialed and there wasn't a lot of bedding locations in there. So I was like, yeah, I, 
I'm going to go in and kill him. Like I'm going to, I'm going right after him. Right. And I tell myself that all the time, but <laughs> it, it works out every once in a while. But, uh, so I tell myself the same thing. I'm like going in, I'm killing this deer. And so I went in, but that was the day after my accident and looking at my phone and I checked the wind and I said, okay, yeah. Southwest wind. Right. The thing I didn't do that I always do is break out the hourly and then check multiple apps. So I just checked the main, like the weather channel app and it said Southwest. I didn't think anything of it. If I would have paid attention and paid attention to the details, like that's like I do because that's my game. I would have realized PM we were going to get uh, east wind. It was going to shift dead east. So 180 degree wind switch. So I go up in this valley and get set up underneath this buck bed. And I mean, the wind's perfect and it is kind of a hub, but I know how to play a lot of those hubs with like sitting on the next subridge over that way. My wind, my thermals will kind of pull against anything that's swirling around and I'll still like, you know, it'll basically, if you get up on those subridges in the bottom of those hubs, it'll start to pull whatever direction that ridge is. And you can kind of get away from world where it might suck back up in there. So it's good. I'm like, yeah, I can definitely shoot grape. No doubt about it. I can shoot a couple white oak trees in there. Like I've got a really good, really good thing going on here. Um, and I'm, I'm ready for them. Right. And I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And I was, you know, right about that six o'clock mark rolls around. So still early I hear footsteps. I'm like, Oh, it's, it's probably that deer coming down. Well, no, it was a doe, which kind of shocked me, but I was like, Oh wow, there's a doe in here. Like I never see doe in Ohio for some reason. And, uh, behind her was a old, like hundred inch buck and that two-year-old's working down and he gets to like 30 yards and he's hitting that scrape and the doe kind of works to my left. And then all of a sudden up on that Ridge, I just hear like this crazy sound going on. It sounds like there's a buck in the rut up there. I look up and that deer had tried to stand up out of the briar patch he was in and got his antlers stuck in that briar patch. So he's ripping on this briar patch. I mean, it's, I'm looking at this thing like jaw drop. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh, his big white antlers. I mean, his tines were, his beams were so long and his tines were so spaced apart that as he would turn his head in that briar patch, it was just like a rake, like a big white rake on top of his head. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like this buck is coming. He's coming. I'm going to get him. Right. Like I got him. And sure enough, he gets out of that patch and he turns directly towards me and he's coming in on a string. I mean, you know, 80 yards, 70 yards, 60 yards. Well, all of a sudden he hits 60 and I feel that wind hit the back of my neck. The wind hits the back of my neck and that doe blew out. She was the first one to blow out and went off. That two-year-old was in the V of a tree. And I, I made a post about this on Instagram. You can see the picture of the two-year-old staring at me. But he's, he's like, you know how they turn their head to the side a little bit and then they'll look up at you. He did that whole move where he's looking at me in between the V of this tree. And I was in a saddle and he caught me trying to spin around. To, like I was, I grabbed my bow. I tried to do the spin. I tried to get my camera arm underneath me. And it was the whole setup. I was just off. Like I wasn't, I wasn't in the game setup wise. And that was my fault. That was me being lackadaisical. Um, which ended up costing me in a couple different, you know, obviously ways. Yeah, so that buck busted me and then that big giant buck staring at that two-year-old. So giant bucks at 60, two-year-olds at 30, 
I'm sitting there looking stupid in the tree pretty much. Um, but yeah, the, when that wind shifted, all those deer blew up on that ridge and I'll never forget that deer snorting was like the most nasally, just weirdest snort I've ever heard. And I've heard that one other time. And I told myself, I was like, that's a big old giant buck because that was, it was like, like nothing I've ever heard before. Um, I ended up having a couple encounters with that deer and I was just off on him. He had my number. I, I saw him in the rut, uh, and he was chasing a doe. And this, this is actually a really crazy story. So I had, I had been, I started getting on some better deer. It's like early November. And I set up over top of a different bedding area, which is at where I eventually killed my buck. Um, but so I'm set up over the area and it's like a logging road that comes down the side of a ridge. And, uh, I hear just, you know, same thing. It just breaks loose up there on the ridge. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I hear like this roar and this buck is roaring at this doe back and forth for like 20 minutes before I get to see him. And I mean, I'm shaken by the comes out and I'm, I'm a mess. And here comes this doe and he picks his head up behind her. And there he is, those big white antlers coming right at me again. Right. And the doe's closing fast. And I'm like, here's my chance. Like he's coming directly at me. And I'm getting ready. I get my bow. I get spun around. I'm, I'm fired up. And the doe stops dead in her tracks at like 40 yards. Buck's right behind her. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Well, she's, she, it looks like she's looking at me and, you know, I'm on the side of a hill. So like, I'm a little bit lower. Well, what she's looking at is a possum that's having a standoff with her at five yards. And this possum is like standing up to this doe. And she was like, yeah, I'm not dealing with that thing. And she tears down into the bottom and up the ridge. And they were out of my life. I never saw him again that year. That was the last time I saw that deer. I got to watch him chase her on that adjacent ridge for the rest of the night, just heartbroken over this. I was like, this possum just cost me this giant buck. <laughs> I can't believe it, man. But uh, I ended up going back in there after him again a couple nights later, and that's when that uh, other buck came through, and I was just 18 yards. I was like, yeah, you're, you're done. It's not going to happen. But um that was, that was kind of a weird hunt for me, man. Like I was very thankful that I killed that deer back in my, back in my mind. I was like, I, I kind of gave up, right? Like I would have had all of the rest of November, December and January to try to get on that deer. And I ended up having him on camera patterned very well in January. Like, man, if you would have stuck it out. Like I love late mm -hmm. season. Late season makes just as much sense to me as early season does. And I just didn't stick it out. So, uh, so yeah, I learned my lesson there and you know, it was, it was a good season. I had to grind it out a little bit. I named the film the grind because of that. That was the longest I've ever chased a deer and he, he kicked my butt. He had, he had my number. All right, man. Well, so first off you love, you love the game. You're in the game. You're not afraid to put the work in and then you got burned. That's, that's the kicker right there. That's what happened. That's where I'm at right there this year. Like, you know, me and you talked earlier about, you know, my arch nemesis out there. Uh, guys, guys, a slayer. You know, he listens to the podcast. He knows who he is. Um, that's that's half the bottom. I say anything on here about the pot, the deer, and then he's like, ooh, <laughs> put that in the piggy bank. But, uh, yeah, so, it, you know, you get burned out there uh, on a buck and they your ass then you're like okay that next year you're like I, I gotta i gotta that's where i'm at right now this year so coming off of last year my 
I have never postseason scouted as much in my whole entire life. And I had a chance. I'm post. I'm I'm out there shed hunting. People are like, what are you shed hunting January fifth for? I'm like, dude, I, I'm. There ain't nobody out here in this parking lot. I'm gonna scout and see what the hell is going on. So when this deer's daylighting again, late season, and I have him on cam, I know exactly what he's doing. Like if he makes it to late season, I got a real good chance at him. Just like that buck, you know. And I did the same thing. I bucked out last year. Got kind of pissed off we were losing a piece of property so i said first year with the frame is dying and then i shot 141 inch eight pointer like man 148 right there you can't pass that you know so and then late season i got all the food plots this buck the giants daylighting i got three or four other bucks daylighting morning evening i'm like i can hunt three or four different properties right now and kill a buck have an opportunity to kill a buck but i don't have a tag so um, that's something I'm going to have to really decide this year. If, like, do I hold out and wait late season for this buck? Or do I, if two stall bucks come by, do I, you know, fill my tags? But uh, it's going to be, hopefully, what you want to do is what you do. You just want to kill them early and get it out of the way. And then the rest of the year, you're you're like, yeah, I'll kill another solid buck, you know. But you get the one you want done. So, um, I like that, man. That's the same thing that happened to me. I got burned. I've been hunting a giant, got shot, hunting another giant, got shot. Like I got to stop being passive and, you know, I'm hunting them hard, but I don't know. I got to, I need to do more scouting on this property. And that's what I did. I feel way better about it now. So we'll see. Could be all bullshit going into the season. You don't know on that past season data, you know, that you found until the next year when you're like, oh yeah, all the all the stuff that I'm seeing is coming together, you know. But um, be interesting to see. So, your third buck. So you got burned. Now you're going into your third season, and I love the I love this buck you killed last year, dude. The thing is freaking sweet, man. I I love giant eight pointers like that. I got one that's similar to that, which a bunch of base trash and shit, but not not as heavy and as big, but like right at the 146 mark. But oh, yeah. same thing like that. Called him homeboy. Thought I had him pegged, went in there early October to try to kill him, bumped him, uh, didn't see him again until I killed him like November 8th on a doe. You know, it's just kind of the same thing that happened to you. You get that early, that one chance early, and then after that, it's kind of like, eh, wait. But all right, go ahead and get into your third year um, in that buck. Yeah, so so yeah, third year was uh, really getting after it again. You know, like that's just every year I find myself just falling more and more in love with the process and with scouting and trying to fine tune these areas. And just like, you know, I've got my top five, right. Top five spots. And every year I'm like, okay, knock that number five off, find a new number five, hopefully find a new number one. Right. That's the plan, but just keep on scouting, keep on looking. And uh, that's what I was doing, you know? So it was early January. I get in this new piece, never been on before. Actually I ran a camera there in November kind of on a whim and I had some good bucks on that camera, but I never went to the back of this property. So scouting this brand new pop, this new property a lot and uh, start finding old sheds all over the place. Right. I mean, not like one or two or five. I think I found like 15 sheds and a 400 acre chunk, but they were on like deer trails, like right on deer trails or right on an Oak flat. There'd be tines sticking up out of the leaves from years ago. And I'm like, does nobody come back here? Is this not like you're telling me that at no point in the last five years that some of these antlers, that's how old they are. Like nobody has walked this Oak flat because you'd kick these things. They're laying all over the place. And I ended up finding a, a really nice set in their uh, typical 14 point. 
And that was actually the deer I was looking for last year is that buck. And I didn't turn him up until uh, I might, I might've said too much, but <laughs> I didn't turn him up until recently, I guess. Um, but really far away from there. Like, I mean, I'm talking like three or four miles, but, but anyways, so I, I ran some cameras in there and uh, scouted it out. I mean, I had every bed marked. There's two different hubs. There's one that sets up for a Southwest wind and one that sets up for like any version of North, you know, Northeast would be the best, but any version of North, there's tons of bedding for that. So I went through the whole thing. I marked every bed. And a lot of that was just looking for all these antlers too. Like I was like, Oh, I'm in a briar patch. Like, Oh, there's a bed mark. There's a bed mark. Like, what can they see? What can they smell? What can they hear? You know, doing the whole process I do. Um, so I spent a ton of time in that spot. And the reason I did is I had a lot of all, I had a lot of areas that I was really confident in already that I'd scouted good. So I was trying to make this my number one. I was like, this has potential to be number one, figure it out, make it right get all your intel now that way all you have to do is throw cameras in here verify a target and you know what's going to happen like you can go make a play on him um so all summer this was kind of a weird spot because i had service so up on top of the ridge i could run a cell cam which is which is rare for ohio you know we just don't have service anywhere so the whole point in running that cell cam there was a scrape that was in between the two hubs for the north and south bedding so what would happen is like if i had a wind shift i would generally catch a decent buck midday crossing that scrape i'd get them on camera well i got that buck on camera one time and it was way early he wasn't grown out nearly what he ended up being but i could tell like okay big g2 like you know big g2 and then two or three brow tines on that left side and i was like ooh, we might we might be onto something here let's see what it you know it's early. It was June at the time, I think. Let's, let's see what happens. Um, I never ended up getting another picture of that deer until like two weeks or a week before season. I mean, it was close. I don't remember, but it was, it was really close to season. And it was actually when I went in to pull those cameras. So the way I pull my cams, I set everything up in June. I go out in September and I pull them, but I pull my best cameras last. My number one spot gets pulled the closest season because I want that intel. I want like, what is happening right now? I don't care if it's the day before season, what's happening right now? What deer is in here? And also when I'm in there, okay, what food sources are hot? Because that's going to dictate the exact bedding. So that's, you know, I'm trying to formulate this game plan, right? So I go in, I check all the cameras, not a lot going on. I get to the last Oak flat in the back of this property that sets up for that Northeast wind. And check that camera and bam, I got him on that camera. Well, that Oak flat was hot at that point in time. And there was a scrape that had been there for forever. I mean, on a beech tree, it's been there for as long as you can imagine. It's got a couple saplings that have actually been like torn in half from bucks, like either rubbing them or getting their antlers tangled up in them over time. It just, it looks right. Like, you know, when you get to those, those specific flats, you're like, Oh man, this is, this is something special. And it's like kind of a terrain feature. It's kind of a pinch. So I was really excited about that. Um, you know, I had a game plan going into the first day. I, I was actually going to hunt that deer in the opposite hub on a south wind or a west wind or anything like that. But I ended up getting the phone call about my dad. So I, I went up to New York, um, you know, did the thing with family and got some things figured out. And uh, the day I killed that deer, I actually woke up early because I had to work the next day, you know, pack the family up. We're driving home we get home at like 
12 o'clock. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to check the wind. And if it's right, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go out. It's hot. Like, I don't, I don't care if it's hot though. It doesn't matter to me, but I checked the wind and it was Northeast. And I was like, you know what? That deer is there. Like I just immediately, I, it's hard to explain, but like, if I, if I get the conditions I need almost immediately, the hair on the back of my neck just stands up because, and I go into like kill mode. Like I forget every other thing going on. I'm like, that deer's there. I'm going to pack my stuff up right now. I'm going to go kill that deer. Like there's any, any doubt immediately leaves my mind. It's like full confidence mode. Even if, like I said, it doesn't happen even 20% of the time. Every time I go in there, that's what I do. I just like put on, you know, I'm going after him. Um, it was a, it was a long hunt though. That spot was really far access back. It was almost two miles. I had to circle way. Uh, I had to run like the edge of the public private boundary for quite a ways. I mean, almost like half mile, three quarters of a mile, something like that before I could make this big loop. And then I was actually Jay hooking in on that deer. The, the cool thing about this is when I was on that, that boundary, that is an Eastern facing slope that sets up really good for a West wind. Right. So that deer beds there on a West wind quite a bit. So, you know, or other bucks too. Like there's, there's a lot of deer that bed in that area. So I told myself, I was like, you know, he could be bedded there, but a deer like that of that caliber, that's six or seven years old is not going to put himself at a disadvantage like that. And with this wind, I could basically, if I was quiet enough, sneak up on him and poke him. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's just not going to do that. Like in my head, that's my thought process. Is that wrong a lot? I'm sure, but that's what I tell myself. So what I wanted to do is navigate through those beds the best I could without like overly bumping a deer. And I told myself ahead of time, you're, you're probably going to bump one, but it's going to be like a satellite buck or a doe and just let it happen. Stay true to your path, get back on that flat. You know what one to hunt. So that's what I did. I, I got in that briar patch on that east, on that Eastern facing slope. And I bumped a deer right down in that bottom. And I told myself, okay, keep going. You know, you, you thought that this might happen. So you just got to stay true to it. And I kept going. I get down in this bottom. I, I circle back around a little bit and I sit down. And what I was listening for was just like, what Oak flats hot, like find the hot Oak flat. That's when you're going to hunt. And the, what helped me tip, what tipped me off to the Oak flat being hot was actually a bunch of squirrels. Like there was one out of the few Oak flats there, like these fingers that had a bunch of squirrels on it. Right. And they were just going crazy. And I was like, well, that's where they, like, that's where the white Oak acorns are at right now. And I could hear them dropping too. And so at that point I was like, okay, well figure out which one is dropping the furthest up that Ridge and make sure that you can shoot that. Right. Like I want to be able to shoot the first food source he's going to hit when he gets out of his bed. Well, that, the one that was dropping put him about 80 yards from it was about 80 yards from his bed and he was bedded in a briar patch on that northeast wind so i had to like crawl up the side of this ditch and then barely poke over that get set up on the back side of the tree i picked a tree with no cover it was a little bit bigger but i was on the back side i turned my uh ds5 tree stand around saddle hunted out of it and uh you know i was set up pretty early and it didn't take long for a few does to funnel down and I got lucky because the wind was blowing northeast east at that point in time so that I was bulletproof wind wise thermal wise I had everything working to my advantage um the big nanny doe actually looked up at me and saw me and I was at like the standoff for like 15 minutes on these deer and uh she ended up like working to myself a little bit and I just flinched at her and she ran off she ran south and never blew and was gone right out of my life. 
And that whole process of dealing with the does at some point that buck had gotten up and he started working towards the flat. And I looked back to my left and he was, I saw a brown deer circling around like the front of the ridge, like where the, basically your knuckles of your hand. And then if you had like four fingers out circling around that knuckle, right down the ridge I'm on. And I never even had to pull the binos up immediately. I could see the big white massive antlers and I could see the kickers off his G2s. And I was like, that's, that's him. That's for sure him. And, uh, you know, I got the camera turned on, it was already focused on the scrape. So all I had to do was hit record and I drew back pretty early. My bow was squeaking like crazy. I got a new rest this year. Cause that was driving me nuts. But, uh, but I get my bow drawn back and he came in and hit that scrape and I'm fully drawn back. And then I remember telling myself, he's going to leave that scrape. He's going to clear that one tree and you can see him duck his head in the video and don't shoot the quartering two shot until he puts his right foot forward so that shoulder blades pulled forward and that's what he did as soon as that pressure on my thumb release and like I know you're not supposed to command it but I've I've gotten to the point where like these close shots when I get that foot forward like that I will I already have pressure on it I'll generally like speed up that pull to command basically command style right and so he, you know, he stepped forward, shoulder blade comes forward, command style right through the top of the scapula. And he ran 30 yards and fell right back down the hill again. And I was just tore up, man. You can imagine. Um, but yeah, that was a big hunt for me. That was definitely for dad. That was, that was an important one. That was a spot that I was actually going to put him that year. He's, he's always wanted to kill a big one and man, was I finding some big ones for him. So that probably would have been a deer that if I, he was going to at least get the chase. Right. And just the opportunity to chase a deer like that would have, would have fired him up. So, uh, so I called it dad's buck. That that's what the film's called. And, uh, yeah, it was a cool hunt, man. It was, it was something It was, it was, <laughs> it was a, a really long, hard hunt, but that was probably the most, I would say my most successful hunt for me. You know what I mean? Like it just, everything came together. I almost, that it's it's the first time it's happened to me to that extent but I could almost like draw up and play out in my head before it happened like every step that deer was going to take like I I thought I knew where he was bedded I thought I knew how he was going to come around that ridge how he was going to check that scrape and then take a couple steps before he put that right foot forward and I mean it played out perfect and I was just sitting there waiting on it and it felt like a dream almost you know what I mean yeah I love it when shit happens like that like my second buck last year I'm like, this buck's going to come in. He's going to J hook. I'm, I'm going to have to shoot behind me. That's exactly what he did. He came in, looked, looked towards the scrape, walked directly away from it, 15 yards, then started circling it to get downwind. And then when he's doing that circle, he had about 10 yards till I was busted. And I had my hole right there. I'm like, with that deer, I went in. We, we actually smelled that deer bedded on the ground and I was like, shit, we hung and started raining. And I'm like, Oh dude, he's coming. He's going to come hit this scrape. I freaking guarantee it. You know, light rain. Um, then he J hooked in and it was funny. Homie was filming and he was walking away and he's like, he's walking away. I'm like, perfect. So I'm, you know, I'm spinning around. I'm like, that's exactly what and he's, he's going to come right back to me. And he came right back to me. Like I said, you just, you see a spot and then you visualize it in your head. And now I, sometimes I visualize shit, but I don't have the confidence to say that's exactly what's going to happen. Now I hung a stand there cause it's private and I hung it 
for that exact scenario again because I'm like, okay, that was a maturity or he J-hooked in here. Now I'm on the backside of his J-hook. So instead of shooting him when he comes in, I can still shoot the scrape if one comes in weird, but I can shoot that circle, that 15, 20-yard circle that he does coming in. But that's another thing I, I wrote down here is you love it. You're not afraid to put the work in. You got burned. And then you don't second guess yourself. You're hell confident, you know, um, when you when something's you're feeling something's right. You're saying that's right. No matter what it takes, I'm going to bump deer. The, it, the situation might not be perfect, but it, I he's there and you're confident enough to go in there and kill that deer. So if I'd say, you know, just a small list, of what makes a difference? You love you love the game 100 percent in it all year round. You're not afraid to put in the work. You're not satisfied with the spots that you have. I think that's where a lot of people get, I wrote that down. A lot of people get kind of stuck is, man, I killed a buck. You know, I'm always killing okay deer here. I'm not going to leave this spot. Um, you're never satisfied. You're always trying to find that number one spot. You got burned that second year on a big deer. Um, realized that, hey, I got to kick it up a notch. And then you're you're 100% confident in everything that you do. Um, but I think that confidence comes from the work that you put in you know, prior, um, a lot of people, you know, the word on the street right now, what's your season look like? You know, how, what do you got going on? How are you confident? And I'm, I'm slow playing it to everybody right now. Like I got hella confidence on this deer because all the postseason scouting I did, I'm feeling real good, you know, but you don't want to throw it all out there right off the rip. You want to say, Hey, I did all this after you kill them. You're like, I, this is how it went together, but I did all this before, you know, before it all came together. But, um, I feel like that's, that's the key right there is, uh, you know, you know how to read a spot. And then when shit clicks in your head, you're like, okay, it's time to go. And, uh, I know that, you know, having you on now and the past times and what you've done over the fat, the few years, you, you're not going to give up either, you know, no matter what, what you going on, you had your situation with your dad, <clears throat> you're getting, you know, you're at an, on a new state, no matter what is going on, you're going to be hunting. And that's, that's why I think you're a killer. Those, there are those five reasons. You don't let anything stop you. You're going to be out there just trying to get it done. So, well, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. If, uh, if there's anything that you could say to a listener out there that wants to really step up their game, what do, what do you think it could be? I think, you know, those five notes you had are, are pretty good start. The, the big one for me is really love it. Like fall in love with the process yeah. because, it's going to take a lot of that process to, to get really good at this, right? There's going to be a lot of highs and lows um, on the confidence side of things. A lot of that confidence does come from failures. You know, I, we don't talk about the failures very often, right? I, I talked about one today. If that deer's still alive, which he could be this year, that failure might be exactly what gets that deer killed two years later down the road. You know what I mean? So like, but I would have, if he is alive, you bet that I'm going to have extreme confidence going into that spot that I know exactly what that deer is doing. And that's based mm -hmm. off of that failure. And that's, that's kind of how, you know, my mentality has been in general is like fail, fail, fail. Okay. Well, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work, but I'm staying true to what I believe in. And I, you know, like those spidey senses are evolving. It just starts to click in a sense where if you sit out of the game, if you're not confident, if you're not making like very based decisions and very like specific decisions, you're not going to have the learning lessons. And, and that's such a huge part of it. You know, like if you, you have to have that confidence, even if it's 
of, of face. And I've talked about that quite a bit. We're like, put on the face, get out there, say, okay, I put the work in that deer's there. I'm going to go try to kill that deer in that spot. And I'm going to do everything. If it doesn't work, I almost guarantee you, you're going to learn some really good lessons doing it. And there's always that chance you lay them down day one. Yeah. Epic, man. We killed a buck off of bed uh, last year, day one. And it's just, it's freaking magical to be like, man, this all, the shit all came together. Like, exactly like textbook like fairy dreamland out there october 1st you got a giant public land buck down right off right off the bed and it's like one of those spots like you said you walk it late season you walk we walked it in season and we're like man we're, we're messing up not being in here you know and it was too late then the sign was already laid down um you could tell it was early sign um we went back in there late season scouted it found the bed i'm like God, dude, this is like the mo- this is the perfect spot for a deer to bed. It's just absolutely like textbook. He's not very far from ag. He's right up against the cattails on a lake. There's a big washout, like where the rain is just basically washed out this giant drop off. And he's coming up this slope and he can smell anything before he gets to the top. That wind comes right over the slope all summer long. And uh, we ran a trail camera there, and he daylighted 17 days in a row before season. Coming right out of that bed, same trail, same trail, same trail, once in the morning. So we're like, okay, morning's not, you know, not key. Uh, wasn't even getting him coming back that way in the morning. But every evening, we had a bet going. I was like, all right, what time do you think it's going to be tonight? Like, we were good doing by the minutes, you know, like he was there so long. Um, and then went out there and killed that deer three foot from that trail camera on that exact same trail doing the exact same thing <laughs> it's just like man the shit just came together on that one but it don't always happen like that but with all that going on when homie woke up that morning i called him and i said dude you're killing this buck tonight like it's you're leave work early get your shit ready he came and got my my stand went out there I had a little better setup than his little quieter. I'm like, go in, hunt like this. It was raining. I'm like, dude, this is perfect. It's going to be quiet. I said, just take your time. We already had the tree picked out. I'm like, dude, this is money, you know, and it was. It was perfect. But you don't you don't get those hunts very often, but we wouldn't have went in there and scouted and wouldn't have, you know, been 100% confident. Opening day evening, when it's hot, dude, it's hard to push yourself to go. There's just something – that's been in brain. I don't know if it's when the jury's releasing so much content, like don't hunt October, don't hunt when it's hot, wait for the front and all that. Um, a lot of that's witchcraft for private land giants. You know, it's not the same out there for every, every deer and that deer and your deer, you know, most of the deer that you killed, it was hot. So, you know I mean? This is early. So, but I appreciate you coming on, dude. Um, this was an awesome episode and I know everybody's going to really enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoyed it. He said some stuff in there that I jotted down. Um, the guy is just so involved in whitetail when he speaks. There's little tidbits that I picked up throughout the whole thing. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, got huge respect for Jake Bush, what he's done over the past few years. Can't wait to see him in 10 years down the road, absolutely out there slaying. Um, make sure and follow him on social, um, follow on him for his films, um, guys actually out there slamming giants on public every year. And, uh, guys got, got big, big goals, guys. 
and uh, he's the kind of guy that's got the worth it to get it done. So, like always, we love you guys. Thanks for tuning in all the way to the end. Really appreciate the couple guys that left a review on the show, man. Love to hear from you guys. If you could, anywhere that you're listening, leave a review to the podcast. Um, tell me how I'm doing. Um, I'm out here on my own now. Um, just to let you guys know for listening all the way to the end, <clears throat> homie has decided to step away from the podcast. We're still best friends. Nothing going on there. Um, just got burnout on it. When it started focus on family time, I've been getting a ton of messages about where he's at on here. Um, but it's just going to be me from, from here on out, guys. Um, I love this. I'm into it. I'm in for the end to the end, man. I have no, uh, no signs of stopping anywhere in the future. I'm just going to keep plugging along, keep learning, keep releasing episodes like this for you guys to listen to. Um, I love you guys. I'm, I'm here for you guys. And for me, I'm dedicated to bringing you guys a podcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central time. I apologize for not getting on Spotify. Like I said, I am covering everything related to podcasts now all the social media all the ad reads all the uh uploading all the cover art everything um so there's going to be some growing pains i got some uh, gear coming to make it more sufficient and take me way less time because it's a huge time right now um but i'm not gonna let that stop me i'm gonna keep releasing episodes and putting them out there for you guys um like always love you guys to death appreciate appreciate you listening to all the way to the end um, try to leave a legacy, try to do the right thing. And uh, White to Legacy is out until we're coming in your ear holes next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Thank you, guys. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.